Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my fellow artists. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast that celebrates contemporary creative culture worldwide. I'm your host, Sourdough, and on today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by a multi-talented artist who paints beautiful works of art, but also designs and builds contemporary high-end homes for which he has been critically acclaimed. My good friend, the one and only Link Thalen of Link Thalen Art and Design. Hey, Link. How are you doing there, Scott? Sourdough, my friend. Sourdough. Sourdough. <laughs> so it's good to see you here at Art Basel. It's great to see you, and it's uh, great spending some time here, our second year in a row together here at Art Basel. It's getting better each year. Third year is going to be a charm. Yeah, now we have, you know, our second year, we're really finding our foothold of navigating through Miami and the show. Yeah, so for our listeners who aren't here at Art Basel, Miami 2019, what do you tell them what you think? What do you think about Art Basel this well, year? you know, I guess maybe some people who haven't been here don't wouldn't know how many different shows there are. Yeah, there's a lot. Throughout Art Basel and different events from Untitled to Scope to Context, Art Miami, Art Basel itself, Pulse, and each one of those venues, you know, offering a different arrangement of artists Yes. And quality of art. So, say nothing about all the smaller satellite shows that are happening in hotel lobbies and, you know, cafes and any number of other places. Yeah, this is the biggest show, you know, in the country, you know, this year, yeah. you know, and everyone looks forward to coming out here to be part of it. Now, you have about 10 paintings showing this year? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. I have 10 How paintings. many years have you been showing at Art Puzzle? So, this is the second year of showing. So, you know, I show worldwide now. I show from in Hong Kong, Germany, London, you know, I stand those are different galleries in those markets. Yes. Right. Okay. So I, I'm with a London gallery and a New York gallery. Okay. Shout out to those galleries. Which galleries? I'm currently with Cube Gallery in London and Michelle Marie Gallery in New York and Soho. And they're both here at our Basel. They're both showing here. your work. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got some red dots, do you not? Yes. So, so far, uh, it's been good. Sold about half the painting so far. And, you know, tomorrow's a promising day. We have a lot of people coming back. Yeah. It's not over yet. Nope. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you sold through last year too, right? Yeah. Yep. Last year was a really good show. I sold just about every piece. And, you know, that's tough to do. You know, you just hope, I think with the galleries and artists in mind, we come here to try to get away, be in the warm weather, try to break even. So it's, you know, there's a lot of competition. So it's a plus being able to 
be on top every year coming out of here. Yeah, I mean, in, in all candor, I mean, depending on what show you're at, it feels like there's, you know, sea of sameness sometimes, a lot of a lot of the same stuff, you know, but quite frankly, I'm not saying this because you're sitting in front of me, but, you know, your, your work's pretty damn distinctive. Like, I haven't seen work like yours here. Like, it, it's pretty unique. Yeah, I've kind of been fortunate to find a, a path in the, the art that was, that is unique. I mean, I am a painter, so studied classically, but with the abstract painting, I've kind of came up with my own techniques that's not subject-driven. It's basically driven by technique. So what was your journey as an artist? I mean, did you study art in college? Did you Were you formally trained? Yes. I mean, I studied both architecture and art. And so I had a lot of the formalities of classical art and design. And I studied, actually, I studied under a professor who actually was a minimalist artist, which would be surprisingly different from what I actually wanted to be creating at that time. And I think what I took from him is is how to learn how to see. How to see. How to see. So how to, to interpret things and how to see and understand your reactions to things and understand why you're doing things. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the moment when it clicked for you and you said to yourself, okay, now I get it. Now I'm seeing differently or I'm seeing better? Yeah, I think it's taken probably 20 years. <laughs> right. It's a process. You know, it's yeah. a process of understanding. You keep experimenting and then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I don't have to, I'm not really, I'm searching within the art, but I'm not searching of why I'm doing it anymore. I, I, I found my place. Why are you doing it? Why am I doing it? I like to create, I like to be creative. I like to be passionate. I like to create an environment that's free. And painting allows me to to explore those ideas. It may, I'm, I'm a dreamer. So, I get to dream within the art. So, I'm creating art that that reflects hope, mm-hmm. dream, mm-hmm. happiness. Mm-hmm. So, that's what I do. I try to experiment within the painting to create that atmosphere. Yeah. Well, I can you know say my impression of your work is that it exudes positive energy, which you know might sound like a sort of general statement, but I feel good around your art. Yeah, I want people to be happy. It's just what I I want that. That's how I know when a painting's finished. If it's calming, relaxing, has good competition or composition, has a nice push and pull, and then the use of materials is used well. So, Well, and you have the kind of unique, you know, skill set to not just be able to create paintings that people can have in their homes. But because of your architecture background, your building background, you can actually design and build the homes that your paintings are in that, you know, people feel good inside their homes because you helped also design and build their homes. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, touch on that. Yeah, I design, build these five, 6,000 square foot homes that are very more towards the more minimal approach. But yes. the approach is somewhat the same as what I do on canvas. It's trying to create a composition, to use some materials, creating content within the architecture that people have to think and question. So that's what I try to do in the homes is have people, you know, question why you did something, bring up the materials, the importance of those things, how they react to each other. So do you think your architecture clients hire you because of your aesthetic and they want your aesthetic or are they hiring you to realize their aesthetic or some combination? Uh, in between? I've been fortunate they hire me to, to do my my thing, yeah. you know, they try not to get in the way. Hire me to create them, kind of my vision, and hopefully, you know, it's usually 
we have somewhat the same vision. Mm-hmm. So obviously they don't know how to carry that vision out, which I do, but they usually let, allow me to to take reins. And like my recent client now, she she actually is she teaches and handles all the fundraising for the School of Music in Chicago. And she they interviewed a bunch of different architects and builders and she that's why she chose chose to go with us is because of our aesthetic and having the artful background that we'd be sensitive to. Well, there is a consistent narrative to your portfolio, right? I mean, I've had a chance to obviously see your work over the years and be aware of your design career, both in architecture, but then also in in your art. And, you know, looking at your work over many years, it feels like there's definitely a consistent narrative in there. I mean, your vision, your voice, if you will, is 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 clear, I think, throughout. So there's, a, there's a through line. Correct. There's a clear path of what I'm trying to produce and the approach and the overall aesthetic and the feeling that I want someone to feel within the home and within the art. And I try to keep, I keep that true with it. So it is more of a minimal approach, less clutter, simplifying, knowing your negative and positive spaces, knowing how important those things are. And you know, trying to find, I guess, the beauty in simple things. That's just it. You know, taking the purity of everything, and that's kind of with architecture and art, and being a fine artist in terms of being abstract. It's really about the purity of your technique, the materials that you use, your actions are pure, and I think that's what makes up great art when it's pure. Would you say the majority of your architecture clients are also collectors of your work? Yes. So, you know, it came about, you know, years ago, I I was kind of hesitant to to like push on to my art with sure. them. But no, now, you know, the last decade, everyone, basically every client's had a couple pieces of my How does that make you feel when, you know, when you finish a project and, you know, the blood, sweat and tears of a, of a project is, of course, you know, these things are not easy. They're very stressful high stakes uh, game and that, you know, you get through it, you get done, you're finished, you, you know, people move in, they're happy. They, they, they're living in your creation. They're, they're living with your art. How does that make you feel? It is. Yeah. It's like you said, it's a, the process of getting there to the finish line is a tough one. So, <laughs> it's a, yeah, so the last, contact yeah, sport. yeah. So, I mean, you kind of almost don't really savor it or until after the fact of maybe months down the road, all my clients wind up being my, really good friends. A lot of them are summer homes and they allow me to use the houses anytime I want. They're very thankful. They're hugging me. They also want to come over for dinner. So, you know, that was what I wanted. I wanted to have a relationship with people. So that's why I like designing, working with clients. And I, you know, again, painting. Painting is amazing when, you know, you have clients buying your paintings because they're all so happy. I mean, they come to the studio, they're ecstatic. Oh my God, I get letters. You know, and that's that's awesome. That's a good feeling. Do you know off the top of your head how, how many paintings you've sold in your professional career? Who's keeping score? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, maybe 500. It's incredible. You know, so, I mean, obviously this last two years, over 200. So, it's it's been... It's been crazy. I can't even keep up. I mean, I have to ask, how the hell do you find the time to paint. I mean, when you're building homes, I also believe you're a husband and a father. How do you how do you find the time? Well, you know, it's taken years of being efficient with time. Okay. And, you know, I had a professor who 
who taught me very early on. He's like, you know, don't be building these huge canvases and spending all this money and being hesitant on finishing them. Just take a simple piece of paper and draw every day and paint and just keep working your craft. And so I've created an environment where my process is very efficient. I have people helping building the stretchers, you know, paying them, building the canvases, getting things set up for me. My studio is very accessible. And so, you know, my limited time of painting is done very effectively. So when I paint, I get stuff done, you know, so, and so, yeah, I have to work evenings, Mm -hmm. weekends, Mm -hmm. you know, early in the morning, an hour here, an hour there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's that adage I've heard people say, well, I have kids, so I, I can't paint or I have, I've got to work, so I, I can't, you know, dance or do this. And yeah. I just was never one of those people would ever use and say that. Right. Well, you, it seems like you've been effective at designing a system for yourself or a workflow that, that works for your lifestyle. With the new year coming up, though, I am going to be stop taking on projects for designing homes and building them for a while. I don't know if that will be indefinite, but it's definitely going to be on the back burner now so I can focus. Is that going to be hard for you to walk away and say no to projects that, you know, that come your way? No, I'm actually looking forward to it. Okay, you need a break? Yeah, I'm actually looking at it as like a retirement of like moving on to a new career. So I'm actually like feeling like I accomplished something that has been very difficult and I've done it. So I'm ready to move on from it and kind of, you know, pat my hands and and move on. Well, you've been, I mean, your architecture work, has been critically acclaimed. You've been published. You've won a lot of praise for your work. I believe perhaps one of your more well-known projects was the so-called church project, correct? Correct. Yeah, it's changed for people who don't know. I renovated a church into a home, and and it's been published over 100 times. I've been awarded awards in China, and I've been in... Architectural Digest, Spain, Mexico, Russia. And so tell me about that project. What I mean, you renovated a church. What, 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 does, that, what does that look like? I mean, how so the hell does I, somebody own know, a church? I think what really caught everyone's attention about this church, it's because it wasn't like you renovated a church and you made it into still a church. And it had like an old fireplace and you – you kept it that cliche of like old materials in there. And what really made this church stand out to everybody, it was so contemporary and current with today's design, but in the envelope of a church. We still kept the stained glass windows, but we were able to like make a space that was very large, actually shrank it where we added more rooms, but enlarged it in other areas so it didn't lose that lofty feel. So to be able to accomplish something that's very tr- like current in design that was fluid that worked that didn't look gimmicky it just really caught everybody because a lot of people have done churches and you know we got contacted you know by many publications in Europe obviously because of the churches out there and in, in London and they were just you know people were just blown away with it so it was kind of one of those it was a perfect playground for me because that's how I work. I work contemporary. I work with what is current and what I'm feeling. Right. Now, did you have to pitch for that project? Did you have to win that project? You know, I had someone come in actually that she originally hired another designer or an architect 
and she wasn't happy with the direction he was taking. And so she wanted me to meet with him. And they were very well established, more established than I was by far. And I met with him and he looked at me and he says, you know, we discussed the project a little bit. And I was like, well, why don't we do this? Or what about this? And he looked at me, he goes, I'm, we're done here. I go, what do you, what do you mean we're done? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm done working with her. And I'm like, does she know this? <laughs> so I Why are left, you telling me? Have you told I her? I left there thinking like, he's like, yeah, we're, we're done. Like, so he was, you know, again, he was. A little salty. Yeah. And he didn't want anyone else coming in telling him what to do. And I had no idea that that conversation was going to go that way. And so that was it. I, I got the contract right after that and, and worked away on it. So Yeah, awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so how long does a project like that? I mean, I, this is not a fair question because every project is different, but how long did that project take? Was that a two-year project? Yeah, they're two-year projects, two and a half, like from doing the drawings to, you know, depending on what city you live in. You know, obviously, if you're in New York, you would know the difficulties of getting a permit there and that process and lengthiness. But, you know, my projects do take longer year and a half, you have to really know the home and know the person and the climate and then what you're trying to produce. And there's only one of me. So I have people helping, but in the end, it really takes all my time because all those little design details, I can't really give them to anybody else. It just requires my time. So you said most of the homes you typically work on are five, 6,000 square feet. Is there sort of an average budget? Or are you working with a five million bucks, two million bucks? Does it just vary all over the place? Well, in the Chicago land area, it's, yeah. you know, homes like that are in the, like the two million dollar range. Okay. You know, million dollar renovations. You know, I can do a lot with a million. You know, more so because we design build everything. So if someone's million dollars, I could, you know, it would it may cost someone a million three where I can do it for a million just because I have. I have, we custom make all the cabinetry, we make the furniture, you know, I have... Again, you're more efficient. Trades, yeah. So, I have resources that allow us to get things done for cheaper, you know, less money. And you, you, you sort of come by this honestly, don't you? I mean, didn't your father build homes? He was more in the commercial building. He did build some homes. He, per se, wouldn't want to work with a homeowner in construction. It's, and now it's, you know why. Yes. It's, you know, it's difficult to work with a homeowner opposed to when you're working with a you know, someone who owns a business, you yeah, know, yeah. it's a different process. Professional developer. But right. Yeah. Plus, you know, the time frame, like right. it's got to be more pragmatic. You have this much time. This is what we want to spend. Okay. Let's move on and get completed. Obviously with a custom project, you know, it changes, which that's the whole, you know, even if I don't like that, that's the whole beauty of it. That's why it takes time. Custom homes, because you do want to make it custom. Right. And some of these answers you don't have until you're, in there and thick of things. Where does your artistic gene come from? Was your dad artistic? You know, he's more like an engineer, pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he did architecture drawings. And so in the building process, it was, you know, in the hard working, it was him. But my mother was, she's more the artist and free spirit. So, so you seem to be a pretty good blend of the two. You've got the left and right brain happening. Right. And which is a rarity. Yeah. So that's why... I think I've been successful as a painter sure. and artist is because well, I know to- so many artists have are challenged, right, in terms of being rational about their business. And your artistic career has probably benefited from your ability to be pragmatic and rational 
as an artist, you know, which is a blessing. Yeah. I think, you know, if people are trying to figure out in whatever craft they are, or whether they're an artist or an architect or dancer, you know, art is in everything. It's just art is about doing something well and understanding it and figuring out what that value is. And then, then once you figure out somewhat that value is, then how do you obtain that value in terms of monetary reasons so we can keep on doing it? So, you know, what I've done is, is try to be in everything. What does that mean? Well, get on Instagram, get on Twitter, email people, send out newsletters, you know, do a show at, at a library. I don't care where, a coffee shop. Do charity. Do some advertising. You know, work in a gallery. So I've done, I do everything. So all those things. I do some charity work. I get paintings away. I do free seminars. I help out with children. I donate my time with the architectural projects. I do advertising. I'm on Instagram. And I find, you know, now it's working. Like I get calls, some, you know, one month it's, you know, someone found the ad. Another month I did a charity event, so they found me from there. The galleries then sells paintings, and then I sell paintings on my own. So and I work with designers. So I think there is, a, you know, an artist, there is no one formula. You just have to be out there in everything you can. Well, the one thing that I've appreciated about your career and watching your career, because you and I have known each other for many years now, you've always been, at least in my assessment, quite thoughtful about your choices. You typically know where you want to be, where you want to go. You sort of break those goals down into smaller goals and steps and you execute well, but you're, you're incredibly thoughtful. You're not, at least in my assessment over the years, you're not impetuous. You're not reactive. You, you tend to be pretty intentional about your choices. Yeah. I'm not all over the board. You know, my, my choices since from basically high school through college have all been towards one goal. Not that that goal has always been apparent, but it is, it's always been apparent of, you know, now it's, you know, it's always been to try to be creative and to produce stuff and, and, and just try to be, I'm trying to add something. I'm trying to, what am I trying to create? I'm I'm trying to create a work that people can gravitate towards. I want to, you know, I wanted to say something, you know? Do you think the current state of your career, are you sort of on track? Do you feel like you're on track or you're, you know, or are you ahead of the game? Are you behind? Do you feel like, how do you feel about where you're at right now? If I was talking about building homes in the architecture and world and design, I'm way ahead, you know, for my age. So you, so your, your current state around that, you've exceeded your expectations. You wouldn't have imagined being. Right. And, you know, most of them are you know, are celebrated when they're much older, Mm -hmm. you know, upper 50s, 60s and stuff like that. So that has succeeded, you know, farther than I could even imagine. I didn't even imagine ever being published all over the world and going to China to accept an award. That was not even, it wasn't even my vocabulary. And even now with the art, I didn't even know, you know, it's something that I've been doing forever, but it's still naive about the art world. I don't think anyone knows the elusive art world. What is the art world, you know? And what's the gallery? What's the artist? Yeah. I think now, even being in the second year in Art Basel, I'm finding out we're the same. The artist and the gallery are the same. We have the same dilemma. Figuring out the public, where to go, what show to be in, 
you know, which direction, you know, artists look up to the gallery, but the gallery is almost the same. They're, they're just as lost as the artists. Sometimes they're trying to figure out what show they want to be in and how much they should be spending for this. And are they going to be advertising? What artists should they have? Yes. You know, who's the next big thing, you know? And so they don't have, you know, as much as artists want to search for the answers with the gallery, but they don't, a lot of them are, the, are in the same boat as we are. So, Isn't that fascinating? I mean, it's statistically, right? I mean, 90% of small businesses fail and most galleries are small businesses, you know, and it's a struggle. And, you know, to what extent do you feel like, what do your galleries do for you in your career? Like what, what value add are they bringing? What are they bringing to the table for you? Well, what I've, you know, I've been in galleries for the last 20 years, some smaller, some bigger, you know, and the, you know, at first one big gallery I was at was on Superior Street, which is in the River North in Chicago. And that was the street to be on. So I thought I made it. Yes, I'm 26. I made it. I'm on Superior Street. And then I got to really know the gallery and found out, you know, they're just, they could be selling shoes. They didn't, you know, it was just about selling a product and they didn't really care about my work. They just, they just wanted to make sales. They liked the work. They like art, but they weren't, they didn't have the same passion I did. We didn't have the same beliefs. So I ended that with them. And, and then, so then I've been with other galleries or small that it's just kind of brick and mortar gallery that people come on in and they try to create some clientele and, show your work and they're enthusiastic and they like art. But the galleries I'm with now are, are ones that show all over the world and they do these big shows and they really push the art and they have more clientele and their outreach is further than what I have at this time. So it's opened my eyes to a whole new, you know, opportunity to be, you know, selling all over the world is amazing. Having clients in Germany, People buying your work in Paris is, is awesome. So I would never have that without them. So I find them very important. You know, it's a partnership. Do you feel as though you that, that you guys can grow together moving? Where do you see your career five, ten years from now? So that's a good question. Two-part question. One, you know, if you're looking for a gallery representation or if, hey, if you're looking for a job anywhere, that's a good question that maybe a lot of us don't answer or ask ourselves: Is that career path? If you're going for another, you know, hiring, getting hired from a company, are they going to grow the same way you're going to grow? Is the gallery I'm with now going to be the end all, end all gallery? I don't know, because you know, I I plan to keep growing faster and faster, and and if the gallery can keep up with that then yeah, I would stay with them. But, you know, we have a great relationship and we discuss our past together. And I'm assuming that if our paths, you know, would change, we would have that conversation, right. you know, which in terms of where I see myself in five and 10 years, you know, just keep on pushing the envelope to make better art, you know, and then being seen in the right places and understanding the art world a little better, I guess. And making, you know, like being seen, but try to start getting into some museum shows. So for those artists, young artists out there who sort of aspire to be where you're at, you know, as you've already sort of alluded to, in the art world can be a sort of opaque kind of world. It's, it's you know, part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to help demystify it and 
and help educate folks. I mean, so from a nuts and bolts perspective, you know, your relationship with your galleries, your galleries, is that a contractual relationship? Is it an exclusive relationship? It's not, but it is in a way. Like, you know, depending on what level you're at, it is a contractual agreement with, in terms of like, you're not going to be showing in two cities with two different galleries. That's just, you know, that's not going to happen. Unless you're with some small galleries that, that don't care, but so and, for, and just to be clear, like your galleries now, we would consider them mid-sized galleries, right? Yes, and or, or sort of mid-career galleries, what have you. And so you're not gonna your New York gallery is your North America gallery, right? You're not showing in Chicago, correct? Okay. You know, I have one gallery that I work with in Chicago, but unlimited basis now, just because. I've established myself on my own in Chicago where I don't I don't need the gallery per se. I'm not saying that in a right. negative way, but you know, people in Chicago and my hometown And you're but, know and, my but work. you're still selling art through your studio. You don't have to sell through your gallery in New York. Correct. You, yes. Correct. Yeah. And they know that, you know. Right. So And then the gallery in London that you have was introduced to you through the New York gallery. Uh, yeah, they New York gallery knows them well, and they over the course of the last two years mm -hmm. been seeing my work, mm -hmm. and they approached the New York gallery and asked if it was okay. That okay, so there's some understanding there and an agreement, sort of informal, maybe agreement. Correct. Yeah, you know, a lot of these galleries that travel all over to these shows, know each other. They've been doing it for 15, 30 years, you know. So they know. They have a relationship with them. So they know which artists are good. And, and they, they, you know, people who have been in business long enough try to respect each other. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing the split, the rev share with your gallery is 50-50? It is. In general, it is. But I've been fortunate enough to be in a position where I actually get 60-40 mm -hmm. yeah. due to how hard we work together and due to the sales that we right. have. So They know you're selling. We sell a lot, and so she wants to keep me happy. Mm -hmm. So, Right. You know, there's some controversy out there on social. I've noticed recently artists sort of pushing back against consignment sales and wanting galleries to pay up front, almost like a wholesale kind of deal, right? So, you know, assuming more of the risk, I think a lot of artists out there feel, certainly young emerging artists, you know, or even, you know, maybe mid-career artists feel, based on what I'm reading in social, that they take on too much of the risk. They want galleries to take on more of the risk. How do you feel about that issue? Well, for someone who, I'm at both ends of it, since I have a fairly large studio in Chicago, which is expensive, and I advertise and do the business side of like a gallery would. I know that stuff isn't for free. So a good gallery should be doing stuff like advertising and reaching out. They're not just having people just walk in. They have to have a gallery space. They have to turn the lights on. They might have other assistants that they pay, you know, percentages with wise. So even though you think 50-50 is a lot, like when you do these big shows like Art Miami, Art Basel, you know, they have to pay for the booth. So if they're spending $25,000 on a weekend, you know, they have to sell a lot of art just to break even. Yeah. And they're splitting it. So 
you know, if the gallery is not working for you, yeah, then it's not not worth it. If it's they're thinking the art's like shoes that people are just going to come walk in off the you know the street and just go buy, spend ten thousand dollars, well then that's not work. You know, that's just the wrong gallery for you. So right, you mentioned your presence on social. Have you sold art via Instagram? Yes, it's been great. It's Interesting. Been, yeah. Talk about that. You know, I get people from all over, especially California. It seems like that's a great market for me. That's been selling quite a bit. Instagram, you get a followers. And, you know, I've had people, I have one client that's in Newport Beach, bought four paintings already. Incredible. Sight unseen. They found you on Instagram. Yep. They contacted you. They DM'd you through Instagram. And yep. you've since sold them four paintings. Yep. I have a great, you know, well, she's a friend now, but she's from Oregon and she, her husband, they flew out, you know, they commissioned a piece and actually flew out to Chicago for a weekend and they, you know, they purchased one of the larger paintings and that was through Instagram. So, sight unseen, it's, it's amazing, you know, people spending big dollars without even seeing a piece of work or following. How often do you post? Uh, you know, that's... Comes and goes depending mm-hmm. how, how sure. swamped I've been. Yeah. I, you know, let's say, of course, a month, you want to, you know, maybe 10 times, 15, mm-hmm. 15 mm-hmm. times, depending on, you know, how busy. And you're I am. posting images of your, of your studio and your artwork, but you're also posting photos and images of your architectural work and yeah. the homes you're building. Yeah. So my, my feed is, I guess, a real feed of real life. And I'm not creating content to put on there just to put it on there so it looks like it's so cohesive that I'm trying to f- get a million followers and that I'm going to get an advertiser. It's Some of it's raw. Some of it's with my child painting, my wife, you know, me in the studio. You know, stuff that I th- think that might be interesting are the process, showing the process of the work. And then some of it obviously is the polished when it's professionally shot with the architecture. So I'm hoping, you know, again, I'm – just try to find stuff that's interesting in that process and share that. So the work that's selling for you now is sort of the culmination of uh, exploration you began many years ago, sort of a study on on circles. Talk a little bit about that study and you know where you started and how you got here. So you know what happened was in two thousand nine, the you know recession hit in the housing market and. I was more into painting like classical paintings, the dark, rich browns and landscapes and still lifes. And and I decided I needed to do something different. I said, I can do contemporary architecture and design that kind of stemmed on its own merit. I didn't need anything to, I guess, guide me because I had my own guidance of how to design. And I'm like, why can't I do that with the art? You know, it was always about the subject before, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I took up a bowl and... I'm like, well, let me just trace over a bowl and make some shapes and circles and just, you know, just see what can come out of this. And I'm like, oh, that looks pretty interesting. I was getting kind of all white paintings, kind of like a grid shape. And and then I sold a couple of them just kind of a fluke, you know, not for a lot of money, but women thought they looked like bubbles or they made them happy. So I'm like, okay. So then I just kept on experimenting with that process, thinking, well, maybe I can paint these circles to bubbles, let's say, to create a composition that could be read like figurative or read like the landscapes. And so then I started experimenting with that. But then again, they still looked 
you could still see somewhat a subject. So in terms of finding yourself as an artist, it wasn't still all about the process. It was still subject was in there. There was still some idea there. It wasn't as free. It was still somewhat controlled. And then I was working with a gallery in, in Chicago and they said, well, we'd like your circles, but we want you to do something a little different. So I'd started like six of those circle paintings. I'm like, well, what am I going to do with these? So I started painting over them, scribbling over them <laughs> and just scratching out the circles. Sure. Which was a freeing moment yeah, because right. here it is. I'm just playing around, this scribbling and covering up circles, and and some of them were coming through, and it was like, oh, these actually look pretty good. And so that's then I continued that process without it being so controlled. So right now the, the process is very loose. It's almost like Saitambly. It's you know the gestural movements are like dance or music notes. Mm-hmm. The technique is is never ending. It's like, they're like metaphors. I d- nothing has to be one thing in the painting. So I get to experiment with all the different tones of colors from one painting to another. Each painting looks different. I mean, there's the same fluidity in the painting. There's definitely a, you know, a sense of style that's in each piece, but you know, you're not going to see four green paintings with the same mark on them and look like I just did the same painting, but changed something in the corner. But success that you're having is sort of a double-edged sword, right? Because you found something that is working. It's working for you. You're enjoying it. It's working for your gallery. They're selling and people are buying and loving it. I mean, do you feel pressure to sort of stay the course or are you cautious about changing? I mean, do you want to innovate? Do you want to move forward? No, I am moving forward and I am experimenting. This last show in New York, I say out of 12 pieces, you know, when you're working, I work on a body of work at one time. It's like writing a book, right? You kind of write chapters of each book mm-hmm. or a character, mm-hmm. let's say. So, I had two of these paintings or a character, let's call them, they were rambunctious and they were a livelihood. And and so, the gesture marks were bold and there was tons of color and I, you know, like I call them confetti. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's the kind of characters that I... I'm like, I was able to experiment with mm-hmm. is to kind of let myself go and let to see where this painting took me. And so, out of that body of work, you know, there were different characters and I pushed them different ways. And that's what the beauty is to be able to have these shows and to work with galleries that, that are showing your work constantly is that you, you were able to keep on producing stuff and seeing a reaction and see what people think if they like it don't like it you know and i do hear stuff from my gallery and people they're like you know she's like well i want the light ones and then she's like oh i want really bold ones so then i give her so then she's like at the show i have both light and bold and they all both sell and she's like well you know maybe some people really like lights and some people like both i'm like yes they do like i see people buying all different kinds of stuff you know so you know i'm not one thing Right. It's not one size fits all. Right. So So would you say your practice is, or or in terms of how you evolve and how you grow, is it an evolution moving forward for you in terms of sort of, you know, innovating through a more iterative process? Or do you see yourself sort of being revolutionary and saying, you know what, I'm throwing all that out and I'm just starting with, you know, something 180 degrees different? No, because my journey and my work is is a journal, and you can't skip that page that quickly. Chapters in a book. You just you can't because yeah. they build from one to another. Mm-hmm. So, just like I said, the circles came into 
me covering the circles to the squiggles to I didn't do the circles and boom, I'm all the way to the squiggles. I needed to, some of those circles were still there, you yeah, know? So right. it's a general process of, you know, manipulating those techniques. Mm-hmm. It's like dance or like, you know, like maybe jazz music, jazz music would be, would be more representative of maybe an abstract painting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. jazz music could be fluid and you know, combustible and, and soulful. And, right. and so the art is the same. It's like, it's improv. Yeah. And so depending on that evening or that day or that audience, the work can change. And that's what the beauty of this technique that I've came about, it's never ending. Like mm-hmm. I don't see an end into it. There's no one thing to it. Right. So it can change daily, weekly mm-hmm. as my story changes. Now, as an artist, what do you need to feel safe? To create, you know, we had an artist on a while back who was saying that the secret behind his success was his wife, you know, because his wife supported him in so many ways. And she didn't necessarily even like his art. She just liked the fact that he was creative and she liked that that fact that he was an artist, what have you. And he gave her all the credit for sort of creating the space for him to feel safe and be able to create. But, you know, what do you need to feel safe so that you can create? Hmm. Well, I think as I maybe bring up my professor again, but he always said artists needed to be two things. And he, what he meant was just kind of what you're saying. How do you be safe? So a lot of artists are, you know, either they work in a restaurant and then they paint or, you know, or dance or they act or, you know, or they have a professional job like they're a teacher and then they have summers off and then they paint. So you need to be able to be in a place where you're not a hundred percent always pushing the envelope mm-hmm. in anything. And like business, mm-hmm. they call 80, 20, mm-hmm. 80%, you know, 20% is new. Mm. So if you're working in a world that's a hundred percent new all the time, mm-hmm. you're at risk. So, as an artist, being safe is I'm not creating work that I think is completely 80% safe that I know is going to sell and then 20 is not. Yeah. But to be more, but I am, I never really relied that the income from the art was going to be paying my bills. Right. So I've always had a balance between doing the design and architecture and then doing some painting and they both complemented mm-hmm. each other. And it allowed me to keep creating the work that I want to want to do. But in terms of like maybe a more micro comment would be last year I was producing some very large works. Mm -hmm. I had about 12 of them started. Mm -hmm. What I mean by large, it's they're like seven or eight feet by Mm -hmm. six feet. Mm -hmm. And to me, they're one of my more beautiful works. Mm -hmm. But, you know, selling those works is much more difficult. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, after I was working on them for like two months, I'm like, well, you know, I got to make some smaller paintings too because I'm <laughs> right. just putting all my eggs making these big yes, paintings, yes, which is different great. price points. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't just, I got to make some smaller paintings. Right. So, you know, I've still worked on those paintings. I've completed most of them. Some of them have sold. Mm-hmm. But that body of work is going to be mainly for, for a solo show. You know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be meant to sell. If they sell, that's great. Yeah. But- that work again is not; those are difficult to ship. 
I can't just be shipping them to New York. Mm-hmm. There's the, the space that they require. Mm-hmm. So that's work that's, I guess, is the 20%. But I think it's one of the better works. Yeah. But it's I'm not relying on those things to make an income. Right. How do you manage the stress? I mean, you, you know, I'm listening to you and, you know, you've got a lot at stake. I mean, you've got clients, architectural clients, you're building custom homes. You've got galleries counting on you to create work. You're married. You're a family man. I mean, you're under a lot of stress. I mean, what do you do to manage that stress and keep your your focus? I wish I had the answer to that one. <laughs> so recently, yeah, the stress has been 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 a lot. But I guess instead of running away from the stress, mm-hmm. is being older now is trying to figure out one how you manage that stress, but get the task done then. Like, so I try to figure out what is causing that stress and how do I solve it? Opposed to just being hundred percent stressed over something, for instance, I try to, Hey, do I need to send this couple emails? Do I need to call these people? Do I need to get this stuff? Well then get that stuff done. So then I can, you know, kind of rid the stress. Take the pressure off. Yeah. So, you know, I think, yeah, the anxiety of being an artist is, can be tough because you don't have that direction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, but you just, mm-hmm. you got to make those lists and you got to check them off. Yeah. I can imagine that there are, there are artists listening right now who are curious about how you manage your time, how you manage your workflow. You've got a lot of balls in the air. How do you approach time management in the course of a day and a week and a month? You know, that's the thing. You have to be a hard worker. So if you want to be an artist and be successful, the formula for me was you get up early, you know, you, if you have to get up at five, you get up at five, you work 12, 13 hours, 15 hours a day. That's what it takes. You know, I'm building like, again, I'm, I'm no different than a laborer half the time. I'm building $2 million homes and I'm, I'm not picking the garbage up, you know? Yeah. I'm doing tasks that someone would make for a minimum $15, $20 an hour. You're swinging a hammer. I was, yeah, swinging a hammer. Like I'm getting it done. You know, you got to take charge. So, yeah, also you also got to be smart with your time, be efficient, mm-hmm. but you can't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Right. You know, you, you got to work for everything you get, you know, and it's, as they say, the, as we are in Florida, the older folks say tomorrow's not promised. Right. So... There is no recipe that everyone can follow. I guess you, you work hard, you continue to work hard, and you it's never going to end. You've got to keep pushing it, you know. You don't see Coca-Cola not advertising. They've made it, but they advertise. They spend a lot of money. Right. You have to do the same, so. Sort of what I'm, you know, listening to you talk, it's sort of is hitting me. You're sort of saying, you know, accept responsibility, right? I mean, accept responsibility for your goals, you know, take action, execute, work your ass off, you know, be faithful, right? Be committed. You know, I don't rely on anybody to make my goals come true. You want something, you want to be somewhere, you want to be on TV, you want to be famous, just go get it. Right. You know, I don't rely on anyone and point fingers, you know. Yeah. Well, you also love what you do and I think that's part of, you know, the joy, hopefully, right? The joy of being an artist and being a creator is that the large part of the compensation comes in the doing and the making. And certainly you've got to convert into real dollars. You you wanna you gotta earn a living. 
But at the same time, hopefully you're enjoying the process because at the end of the day, you know, it might be a while before you're making that money. Yeah, there was no guarantee, you know. So, I mean, I guess a pivotal point in my life was, yeah, just about nine years ago, you know. Nine years ago, I, when the economy crashed, I was building houses and working with developers who, you know, stole money. And I didn't get paid. And I was had a staff. And basically, I worked everything to build this company. And then I had to let the staff go one by one. And as the year went by, you think next week's going to get better and didn't. And it's like next six months didn't get better. And, you know, I went broke. You know, I, I mean, just because one, I had clients that owed a lot of money that didn't wind up paying. Projects didn't get finished. Banks mm-hmm. weren't giving the money. And so I said, well, then I'm going to just be a painter. I'm just going to work. If I'm not going to make money, I'm going to paint. I'm going to try to enjoy some of my time then and paint. And while I was doing that, I didn't borrow any money. And I lived, you know, I had a child at that time. And I lived in a small studio, got rid of my house I was living in. And I lived very poor. You know, I had a hot plate. And I'm in my 30s with a child. And single dad, yeah, single dad, and like struggling and finding myself. I mean, making barely any money selling a painting, maybe a couple paintings a year that year for like fifteen hundred dollars, mm-hmm. just getting by. And I told myself, you know, I'm not going to borrow any money. I'm not going to ask my family for anything. I chose to be an artist, and I'm going to see this through. And if this is going to show me, if I really want to be an artist, this is what I have to deal with. Yep. And so I, again, I didn't borrow any money and I lived true to where I was at. Mm-hmm. I didn't mask it by, by lying to myself. You know, this is what the path I chose to be an artist in at that time was being poor, yeah. you know, struggling. But I figured if I could come out on top of that, I would know that I'm going to not either one, not be an artist anymore, not be a designer, not be an architect, and I'll choose another path. So, yeah, that's incredible. What artists do you admire? Who inspires you? I mean, if we go with everyone who would know artists would be, you know, a Picasso. You know, obviously that's that's a clear choice. Why would you say choose Picasso? I'd say Picasso only because I didn't understand him. Mm. And I would never say Picasso if you asked me ten years ago. But after getting to really know his body of work and seeing how great of a painter he was, it wasn't that I loved the style of his paintings and stuff like that. But I love that he was able to create work the way he wanted to, mm-hmm. and he could destroy things and deconstruct stuff with his work mm-hmm. and his attitude towards the process without trying to appease anybody. Mm-hmm. That is what I would take from somebody. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in terms of classical sense, you know, Cavaggio, mm-hmm. you know, that I really mm-hmm. admire. I'm not into political art, mm-hmm. so none of that stuff I would take from like a Jackson Pollock. Although he's, you know, obviously well known, I don't really take anything from his process mm-hmm. as a painter. So, you know, even though I may enjoy looking at some of his work, it's not something that I that I, that I would take from into my studies. Yeah. So, well, we're here at our Basel. What have you seen here, or have you seen anything that inspired you? You know, I like the combination between the fine art with a little bit of the graffiti mixture. Oh, interesting. Okay. I find it playful mm-hmm. and funny. Mm-hmm. And if it's done well, then you see the fine art of the craftsmanship 
yep. how the paint is layered, the tones of the colors. Mm-hmm. I appreciate. And then the whimsical writings and letters and mm-hmm. the thought process and that idea that it doesn't have to be this, you know, beautiful painting, you know. Yeah. It's kind of more real. So, I, those are the pieces that I, that I kind of gravitate so to. There were there are several shows happening here. I know you haven't been to all of them, but which show was your favorite and why that you've attended? You know, I think Context so far, okay. you know, was mid-tiered artists. Artists that are more established, you know, like mm-hmm. someone like myself and like someone who's been around for 20 years. Galleries that have been around for 15 or 20 years. So, their body of artists are more established. But it wasn't to the high-end pretentious stage. Yeah. Still fun. Right. Current, abstraction, contemporary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then we got a chance to go into Art Miami, which is connected to Context, which has more blue chip artists and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's more higher tiered, closer to Art Basel. Mm-hmm. That, you know, again, had some enjoyable work. What turns you off about Art Basel, being here, all the shows, all the parties? I mean, what, what annoys you as an artist? What turns you off as you walk these shows? I don't know if anything really turns me off mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. I mean... I guess each one has their own critical eye of what they want to be seeing. Mm-hmm. But as this now it's the second year around, seeing these different venues, they offer so much for at different levels mm-hmm. and different levels for one of the artists and different levels for the the consumer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you never know what people want to see. So, I think you need it all. Yeah. You know, everyone has a different eye, different. Right. So. Well. Yeah, I think part of the challenge for the art world and for artists is how do you grow the entry-level marketplace, right? Like, how do we get people – because there's way more supply of art than demand for art, right? Like, artists – well, I'm not saying it's good art. I'm just saying, like, there's just a ton of art out there, right? A glut of inventory that's being unsold. And, I, you know, I see some of these shows. I mean, we were at Scope earlier. And it felt like that was a show that was good for a lot of first-time buyers, you know, people sort of coming into the art market for the first time. And I just feel like that's a huge opportunity for the art world to figure out how you get new buyers into the marketplace. There's way more art, original art out there, you know, between 500 bucks and 50,000 bucks, right? Then fifty thousand and above, it feels like, and it's just like, what are we doing to bring new people into the marketplace? Well, I mean, I don't know if, for say we, but you know, what's the art world doing? You know, I think the art world, you know, tries to get people all different types of people in, and that's why they have Art Basel is fascinating and great for everyone because there is so many different venues and different tiered type of artists mm-hmm. that you can see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like just like you said, scope is a good one if, you know, newer buyers or prices are lower. The artwork is not. Well, but then you have shows like the Affordable Art Show. Yes. And that's like, it's in the name, right? (laughs) Yes. It's like, please come, new buyers, and consider these young emerging independent artists who are making interesting art that, you know, you can afford. What affordable means is, you know, these paintings are typically under 20,000. So affordable is in the 5,000 to 10, maybe $12,000 range. Mm, okay. So maybe that's 
affordable some, but maybe not so much <laughs> for others. Term, yes. right? <laughs> so. <laughs> so if you could give your younger self advice, I mean, you know, obviously you've learned a lot all these years. What would you tell your younger self? You know, I would just say continue the path that that you're meant for. Hmm. Be honest with yourself and your pursuits. And, I, you know, I can't say this advice I've taken yet, but it's hard to savor those those moments of success Interesting. because, you know, in this world of design, architecture, and art, you're never ending. So, you know, I, I haven't been able to really sit back and savor some of the Do you think that you need to? Do you think you need to be more sort of you know, willing to savor moving forward? I think so, yeah. I think yeah. for health reasons why, yeah, you know, it's something that you got to take a moment back and savor those moments and right. enjoy them and you know not always be rushing to get to the next next point so right. this next year that's what i plan on doing well next year i will check in with you link and see if you've done that because a year from now we'll be here at our basel we'll sit down and do this again does that sound good to you that sounds great all right link Thalen, thank you for joining not real art thank you hey there thanks for tuning in Please be sure to like this episode and share it with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to press subscribe and follow us on IG at Not Real Art Official. We appreciate the support. Sourdough, out.